Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another episode of the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and today I'm having on my good friend and brother in Christ, Tom Bixler, to discuss the topic of today's show, which is titled, Bringing Light into the Darkness. And folks, let me tell you something. The devil has thrown everything at me but the kitchen sink, as I have been trying to get this show put together for you all. These attacks were on Tom, and one evening, while I was in intercessory prayer, I then received revelation that I needed to do a podcast on how to turn these incidents around for the good. In fact, the Lord's words to me were, use the testimony of strife to turn it around and teach others to keep doing what is righteous. Now, what I didn't think would happen between now and then was the amount of attack I would come under when trying to prepare the show. And I mean, feelings of anxiety, distraction, doubt, fatigue, sadness, temptation, writer's block. Um, you know, attacks from others who had nothing even to do with the podcast. It was just everything. Stress over tedious things that I shouldn't even be concerned with. And these attacks are likely due to the powerful message that myself and Tom will be discussing here today. So now I will use these attacks the enemy tried to throw at me in an effort to shut this podcast down as an even stronger illustration of how we can overcome such situations and shut down the enemy. It took myself and Tom quite a few days to put this together. But each time the enemy has tried to attack, God has provided another revelation to tie into it. You see how God can gracefully take such trials and use them for his purposes. And let me just say, I have no shame in sharing one or many of my own experiences at the expense of my own humiliation. I've done this before. I've done it in my writings. I always say that if I can help lead someone to Christ or help lead them to repentance by illustrating my own struggles, then that's what I'm going to do. In relation to helping others, the word says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 22 through 24, and by the way, folks, this particular verse I'm pulling from the NLT, uh, starting on verse 22, it says, When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. And folks, that's what myself and brother Tom are going to talk about today. Running the race, patiently enduring the unjust in times of adversity, and leading by example by being a shining light and demonstrating the hope and the faith we have in Jesus Christ in dark and uncertain times. But not just that, but also how to better contend with strife in times of adversity. Controlling the anger and maintaining righteousness and encouraging others. Brother Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ray. It's an honor to be here today. You're welcome, brother. It's good to have you. So many of the listeners may remember a recent podcast where Tom and myself were guests on Just Praise Him Radio with our mutual friend, Linda Lomax. And on that episode, which was titled Persecution Induced Loneliness, which, by the way, if you have not heard that episode, turn this off right now and go listen to it. <laughs> but just kidding, everyone. But but yeah, but in all seriousness, you need to check that out when you have the chance, as we covered a lot of examples having to do with persecution. We talked about the events leading up to ostracization of those of us attempting to hold things together and live peacefully, which sometimes is easier said than done when social pressures are cranked up. We know we are not to resort to worldly ways of unbelievers. Yes, that's true, Ray. And, you know, fear is a powerful driving force behind unbelief. Fear can extinguish love. Yeah. And it can confuse communication. It can perpetuate misinformation. And it can lead to a lot of destructive strife. Yes, and as Christians, we lead by example by putting into practice the teachings of Jesus. We're to endure our hardships and will be persecuted, but the Word reminds us 
that there is no shame in doing what is good, and there is certainly no shame in suffering for doing what is righteous, and that is enduring, running the race to completion. You know, First Peter four nineteen says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good, as to a faithful creator. If we go back a chapter to First Peter 3 and look over verses 13 through 17, what does it tell us? And uh, listeners, we're going to do this as kind of a Q&A for you also. You can um, understand what these verses mean in depth. Now, 1 Peter 3 says, starting on verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And, you know, I might answer that by saying, It is he who is opposed to the Lord, living in fear and unbelief. Yep. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And I would answer that by saying, perhaps become acquainted with the authority that is in Jesus Christ, um, and how that authority can flow through you. Yep. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And my answer to that would be, fear in this instance means reverence for the Lord, not the love-extinguishing fear that comes from the enemy. Yep, amen. And having a good conscience, this is verse 16, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revel your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Yes, and... In answer to that, I would say that having this good conscience is how we can remain calm and firm in the face of ridiculousness or severe attack. Thus, we are given the aid or the power to remain unshakable while the storm rages. Yeah, and there is a lot of that where we have to be vigilant to resist when it comes up. Those are known as the snares. I have spoken about many times where I felt like I was cornered and couldn't escape fast enough. I haven't always been successful, but it has been a learning experience for me that I have continually improved on. When we are mindful of what the word says and put it into practice, the Lord helps us overcome these temptations and how we may respond. It's only our faith in him that helps us along. We don't really have to do as much as we think we do, as long as we have the faith in him to lead us. And if we look at 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, starting on verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, and I'm sure all of us can relate to those verses from 2 Corinthians. What often arises in our experiences is of a non-carnal nature that fundamentally opposes God. Knowing this can make it somewhat easier to face others on solid ground when we realize that they could be acting and speaking out of fear and unbelief. Often we're simply there to receive the attack, or rather we're in the line of fire at the moment, so to speak. The actual battle going on might otherwise have nothing to do with us personally. Yet knowing that we have the Lord on our side, it's imperative that we stand firm in our convictions while at the same time we endeavor to demonstrate qualities of forgiveness, and reason, even when another person may be raging against us, or when we know that certain agendas are set against us. Storms can come in various forms. For example, 
another's willful rage or indignation or rebellion against us can be challenging in the extreme. The question then becomes, how do we balance the ballast within our own bellies so as not to capsize when the waves come and the winds blow? How do we draw down the sails, hunker down, and ride out the worst of the storm while remaining calm and focused? Right. And we don't war according to the flesh. And, you know, I recently had to fight this temptation big time as it relates to that verse from 2 Corinthians 10 I just quoted. I want to tell you a little story about one of the challenges that came up yesterday morning while trying to get this show together. And this is part of the reason this show was a work in progress for quite a few days. And Tom knows about this because when it happened, he was the first person I told as we were trying to put this podcast together and Satan was trying to thwart me by getting me upset. Like I said in the opening, this didn't work, but instead just gave me the upper hand to talk about this scenario for an example. So here's the story. You know, my brother, who is 10 years younger than me, lives here in the house, and he had a friend who was temporarily staying here for a number of months who I recently told to move out. And the reason for this was that this guy was not really doing anything to contribute to the household and was acting very strange by sneaking around when myself or others in the house were sleeping coming and going unannounced, being just one example in addition to not cleaning up after himself. Another reason was because he and my younger brother were getting into arguments, and when I'm trying to live in peace and do the Lord's work, I'm not going to tolerate that type of drama. I ultimately saw it as disrespectful, because these were behaviors I left in the past, so I'm, I'm certainly not going to condone or be complacent by allowing it to continue, especially when the purpose of innocence redeemed is to lead others to their redemption in Christ by telling them what time it is and to put their sins to death. You know, the word says that by complacency and sin, you are no better because you are neither hot nor cold. And, you know, let's read that from Revelation 3, verses 15 through 16. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And, you know, For further context, let's look at uh, Zephaniah 1, verse 12. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. So those verses quoted, wouldn't it make me somewhat a hypocrite to speak of these things, but then turn around and tell my brother, oh, it's okay, drink all night and lie to me. I will turn the other way. You know, this friend of his is an unbeliever. And we are told to have nothing to do with them and not throw pearls to swine. And I say that because when he lived here for a brief time, I did try to witness to him and he nodded, but then was bad-mouthing me and also trying to say blasphemous things about the Lord behind my back. And that I certainly will not tolerate, especially when the Lord rescued me from the depths of despair a few years ago and has blessed me greatly since then. And he continues to bless me and I will continually speak his praises. And, you know, Ray, I'll interject here to say that we can never assume another person doesn't hear or understand what we say. Yet we may not be in line to see our eventual positive influence on them. The Lord loves us all in our various states of brokenness. And as we well know, unbelief and rebellion are direct byproducts of deep brokenness. The Lord commands us to love others, but there are sound and unsound approaches to loving others firmly without compromising our solid values, and the rules we may put forward in our own households. It's not sinful to be firm and direct, and as a steward and representative of Jesus Christ, to act swiftly, firmly, and not necessarily with regard to another's immediate emotional reactions. But considering our effect on others, we have to be careful not to break hearts and spirits 
when our goal is to lift them up, not put them down or dismiss them in condemnation. And you know, those acting against us are often incredibly fragile, having built houses of glass for themselves on shifting sands. And so if we know we could discourage them from coming to faith, we can strive to be firm, yet at the same time, do no ultimate unkindness or harm to them. Now, this can be easier said than done, of course. Um, this can be daunting without seeking wisdom and appropriate restraint. And so often, all we can do is pray that when intense situations arise, we're given the right words to speak and the right actions to take. Without calling on the Lord, we will, well, we can be lost in the noise and the chaos of the storm, and our mission can be thwarted. Amen. I agree with you. And another thing we will contend with in these times, brother, you know, many who are not living in the faith will try to set traps or deflect and use our own principles against us when they themselves are not even trying to put them into practice. You know, they'll spout things that they don't understand or try to guilt trap us like, you're not being merciful or, oh, you're not turning the other cheek. You know, that type of deflection does not work on me. And like I mentioned in the podcast I did with uh, Glinda and Tom, we... We're not a welcome mat to continue to allow abuse, especially from those who are not in practice with the faith. You know, I'm willing to teach, and that is what I do. I don't have to tolerate straight-up abuse or mockery. I mean, there is a difference between the two. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and let's remember how Jesus reacted with righteous anger and indignation to the disrespect and the mockery and the greed and the general grubby nonsense that he found going on in his father's house. Yeah, well, I mean, that had a lot to do with the mockery from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, they followed Jesus around, and they didn't believe him, but continuously tried to set traps for him. Comparable kind of to what we see now with the gotcha or the aha questions and statements, because they didn't believe who he was. But Jesus continued to teach all of it. And that right there is a prime example of endurance. You know, he continued to do God's work, to set examples for his disciples to follow, regardless of what he had to endure. A good example of the indignation you were referring to was when they demanded a miraculous sign, which we can reference in Mark 8, verses 11 through 38. You know, in this example, not only did Jesus tell them he would not give such a sign to the wicked and adulterous nation, but he warned about the yeast and the Pharisees in, in those verses. And, you know, that's the parable of wrong teachings and beliefs permeating what is good and turning it into bad. And we do see that happening now, like with traps some don't agree with. There's this virtue, like, I have to be right even if I'm wrong, which is why it is all the more important to discuss encouraging others to follow examples of Jesus in the times we live and lead by example in doing them. So going back to the incident with my brother, I had just woke up and was having my coffee and emailing Tom, discussing how we were going to start working on the podcast. And, you know, we were just sharing ideas back and forth via email. It was too early to start even talking on the phone or texting. I just was like, you know, returning an email here and there. And, you know, my brother revealed to me this guy had come over the night before and was still here. And I simply said, he's not welcome here, and I have made this known to you. And my brother followed me outside and began going off on me, saying things to me in a loud tone, such as, oh, so I'm not allowed to have any friends? Maybe I just won't pay you for the car or pay rent. And, you know, I recently sold him my car because I don't use it much, and I really don't go anywhere, for one. So that too, But that in itself is a long story. I mean, needless to say, yes. he... You know, yeah, Tom, you know about that. And, you know, so needless to say, he's, you know, been paying me for it. Yes, uh, this, this is something that happens often when communications get rough 
there's a tendency to resort to extremism or unreasonable all-or-nothing expressions. It's a defense and a deflection strategy. And, of course, we've all done it. We've all done it. And, you know, it always becomes, oh, well, you don't like what I do? Well, I just don't have to do this, or I just won't do that, or I won't do this, or I won't help you. I won't, you know, it's I won't, I won't, I won't, rather than, you know, I'll respect your wishes because I know it's your house. So, you know, I told my brother, you can hang out with whomever you choose, but when you know I don't like people in the house, when I'm unaware, you don't sneak them in in the middle of the night. And when it comes to the rules I have set forth, you are to respect them. Otherwise, you don't need to continue living here. It's as simple as that. I'm giving you a choice. You know, and then he went on to ask me if I thought I was God, that I always expect things my way. And I just looked at him and said, you better stop. Well, you know, and, and that's mockery. But in love you can actually see the underlying frustration. And then you can go on to figure out how best to react to it. You, yeah. can't, you, you can't affect what someone says or does or what's in them, but you certainly can affect your reaction to it. And to which I did. I mean, I, I did reply to him and I said, you know, I have been very merciful, understanding, and put up with a lot. And I don't appreciate or need accusations disrupting my morning, much less the work I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I continued, you are to be respectful to the, rest of, to the rest of us who live here. And if we do not want someone here, you need to be mindful of that. And, you know, he just kept going on making empty threats and about paying and saying, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And I just said, you know, you're going to be sorry if you do that. And not by because of something I'm going to do. You know, it, you know, that comes down to the recompense. You know, you go, it goes to demonstrate you don't have any clue about my work, nor are you mindful of it. You know, this conversation, and I just went on to say, this conversation is done. Why do you put more concern in a supposed friend who you actually criticize behind his back? And then I just told him, I'm like, you know, you need to get your act together. And he continued to go on. And I began, I began to literally shake, brother. You know, I was, you know, it's likely due to the strong indignation I felt and almost dropped my phone because I was really about to take off the gloves and say some choice words, which if I did, I probably would have needed to repent. I repented anyway, because I still felt like I probably handled it worse than I could have. Well, you were guided in restraint at that point when you realized you were shaking with rage born of indignation, or it was at least theoretically possible for you to put a fist through a wall. But you didn't take the bait, and you didn't react in a destructive manner. Right, and I could feel it was the baiting aspect, like, oh, react, react, react. You know, that's what the devil tries to do. It's like, you know, poking you, like, you know, poking the bear. It's the same as the aha and the gotcha behavior I was uh, talking about with the Pharisees and how they would try to trick Jesus, trying to provoke you know him into sa- to doing or saying something. And the same with me, trying to provoke me into doing or saying something that I ordinarily wouldn't do. You're familiar with it, as you've experienced it quite a few times yourself, and you had to wade through the muck and resist the temptation to respond in the sa- much in the same way I had to do. That's exactly right. It's when the storm presses in that we need the Holy Spirit's help so as not to descend into chaos and then go on to say or do enormously destructive things. Yep, that's like I was saying, like I was mentioning Uh, earlier. I I had to throw that in there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because, as you know, last summer I was in a a difficult position of having to insert what I'll call a de-escalating presence between my brother and my son when I myself was feeling the chaos lapping up on my own deck, and when my son came close to punching his uncle's lights out. I mean, the abuse toward my son was just unconscionable. And, But in the end, you know, really, even my 20-year-old 
showed more restraint and more mercy and far more strength of character than a man nearly three times his age. But it was intense. And that clearly, too, was a provocation. You know, no need to be sorry. I, you know, I've never been one to get physical when it comes to reacting. In fact, there's really only been twice in my life that I can actually recall where I got that angry. But I didn't resort to physical assault. You know, I'm more the type to walk away. That's just not, you know, handling something physically like that, that's just not me. And it never was my method of dealing with a tense situation. I mean, I've thrown things a few times, not at the person, but just into the yard or smashed them on the floor. But that was the extent of it, and that was a number of years ago. Now, I have had in the past instances where I've had a very sharp tongue, and looking back, I'm not proud of that. You know, that's the danger of having a quick mind, especially one that reflects on a lot of things and is well-versed in words as a writer. You know, those can be sharp daggers in that moment of frustration if you're not careful. And words carry a lot of weight. You know, most people don't realize the power in words. You know, the word says in Matthew 12, verses 36 through 37, that we will give an account for every idle word we speak, and that our words will either acquit or condemn us. And this is another example of why behaving in a Christ-like manner and resolving a difference peacefully is so important as it demonstrates our faith. Because it shows we do believe the word and take it seriously, and that we put it into practice and are doers of the word, not hearers only. Oh yeah, uh, the, the power of the tongue. You know, so often a person a person can be unaware of just how much power they have in that way. My grandmother would vent with me about how she really felt, but in the heat of the battle, she never lost her composure and never tore others down. She knew the power she had to be cutting and hurtful and destructive, but she had gained the wisdom to refrain. Yet later, you know, being that she was human like all of us, she would often vent to me in private by quipping little things like, you know, and I, she was really cute in her way, but I have to say, she would say things like, well, that pecky little bird-like woman cheated at bridge again, yeah. but, I, <laughs> but I took her quietly aside and we worked it out. Uh, so here, you know, there's wisdom in knowing how to confront and resolve without tearing another person down or scolding or scorning. And then, Possibly going on, you know, maybe to vent safely with someone later without, of course, descending into gossip. Um, in another instance, after visiting her sister, who was extremely ill at the time, she said to me, Well, I tried. I sure didn't go all the way out to California for my health. But I don't think she heard a word I said. She just sat there with her sunglasses on, with her endless cigarettes, and she drank her lunch. Well, you know, ouch, right? I mean, that's not a very nice account of someone. Yeah, no. But, but in context, you know, as always, her heart of encouragement and strength and her wisdom is what shined through when the heat was on. She was a powerhouse of support and encouragement and practical help. I don't think she ever blessed anything without at least trying to do something about it. Yet always she prayed and she knew how strong she was. And, you know, she didn't descend into despair even when she felt she wasn't getting through to someone. That's really a key point here. It was always about their dignity and what was best for them. The prayer is key when you're in a situation like that. And, you know, before I came back to the Lord in repentance, I would have had no problem just retaliating. But now I feel that coming up in my spirit to resist the temptation. And I believe that's where that shaking came from, because I was doing everything to contain my outrage. 
that is exactly where it came from. And, you know, thankfully that ended abruptly. He took his friend home or, you know, back to wherever they were, they were at the night before for him to get his car. And I changed my clothes quickly and got my shoes on and walked to the park with my phone. You know, thankfully it was relatively charged and I'd plugged it in the night before, which sometimes I forget to do because I fall asleep reading because, you know, I needed someone to talk to. And, you know, one of, you had mentioned, you know, at the praying and um, that's one of the things I did, you know, those Though I said some of those things to my brother initially, I felt it better to remove myself from the house to regain my train of thought and take a moment to seek the Lord by quieting myself for a moment, because by then it had become so obvious I was being messed with spiritually, you know, with everything else that had been going on uh, throughout the week, (laughs) even in the last few days. And you've been experiencing some of that. Absolutely. You know, it just goes to show how easily you can become ensnared in a situation despite your best intentions. And sometimes there's not always an exit. You know, much of what happens is what comes from our hearts and our words. They can calm a situation or add fuel to the fire. You know, thankfully, Brother Tom, you were there to talk me through that mess of ridiculousness. But on a positive note, that's when we concluded it would be a great example of what not to do in these types of situations, of which you have experienced, you know, similar. Well, I always refer to the old saying about how not ever to throw water on a grease fire. Because if you do, you'll do more to burn your house down than to put out the fire. But really, in all seriousness, this is true. Strife feeds and begets strife. There are wise and unwise ways to approach a fire. And it's at that point where doors to bad places can open. It can be very difficult to walk back out through those doors without realizing that severe or even irreparable damage has been done. Amen. And it demonstrates that nobody's immune to it. It's indeed about... You know, it's indeed about self-control, which is why I thought I better take a walk to the park and just stay there for a bit to get control over the situation. So very true, brother. And if you look at Second Peter 1, 5 through 7, and this is from the New King James Version, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And brother, you know, many times I have been in these situations and have patiently gave advice to only notice it seems to keep falling on deaf ears or just going in one ear and out the other, as we all know the, the, the saying, or the problem is turned around on me, despite how much I try to mind my own business. But you know, that's mercy and patience, and most importantly, love, which we are told to have. You know, that's an example of endurance when situations are unfair. You know, many times I have felt it unfair after all the other stuff I've gone through, aside from the wilderness itself. You know, to me, it's like, does it ever end? You know, the sad part is those you try to help often see it as an attack rather than a pleading because you care about and love them. We know what's coming in the last days and we don't want that for anyone. You know, we try to give them the proper advice to do the right thing. Yeah, you know, sometimes brotherly kindness and brotherly love has to do with setting firm boundaries you know, tough love, if you will. Being firm yet truthful is a form of mercy that can easily be construed as hardness, rigidity, or meanness. You know, my mom's grandmother had been a concert pianist. She could play nearly anything by ear while using her powerful memory. And she she was just brilliantly gifted. So it was thought at the age of 10 that my mom would be given piano lessons. Now, mom can play some to this day. She does have a piano and she plays a little, but 
she has remarked that many times, you know, had she not rebuked good and earnest instruction, she might have gone on to play beautifully. But she mistook firmness for rigidity and meanness and concluded that her instructor was a sour old biddy <laughs> and, and never went on to realize greater talent. Now, you know, mom can be assured that going on to raise five kids was God's work indeed, but she does regret her resistance to good instruction. This is a small but telling example of something we've all done. But if we ask for a spirit of wisdom, we can learn great things from our mistakes, our misjudgments, our shortcomings, and from those who rebuke us for our own good. Amen. And, you know, so, brother, there's there's great hope in all that you're doing to set boundaries with your brother and to remain firm, but at the same time to show mercy. And you're showing your brother examples of how convicted sinners can go on to live in godly ways. You know, your, your brother hears the message, but the pull of the world is on him, just like it is on all of us. And because you've told me a number of times that your brother has a heart of gold underneath it all, it's not surprising to me in the least that the enemy has a big target on him as well. What he needs to understand a lot is that, you know, I've been there. I've been through a lot of the same things when I was younger. And so I try to tell him for his own good because I don't want to see him suffer through these things. And, you know, that's that's what love does. I mean, in the end, we always make up, you know, we're on speaking terms now, you know, we don't, I, I don't hold on to grudges, you know, we may not address that situation specifically, but you know, I forgave him shortly after. It's just a question of when he decides to talk about that specifically, or if we ever do, but you know, if, if we're on speaking terms, I know that the forgiveness is there. You know that even times I have been tried, I don't stay mad for long, and I use the opportunity to empathize calmly and rationally where I come from, and to try to impart wisdom on him. You know, I've I've suffered through it before, and I still do sometimes. It doesn't mean I have to enjoy it, but I put my hope in that what I say will eventually resonate with him in some way. Yeah, it, exactly. You're not always going to get the feedback in the moment, but when you can keep communication open, and when you can approach things rationally, and when you can avoid tearing apart someone's dignity, then you know that you're not going to be wallowing in unforgiveness. And you know, part of that is continuing to run the race of faith. When we take a look at Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, it tells us when it comes to running the race, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, note that word ensnares again, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah, and this verse from Hebrews 12 reminds me of the weariness my grandmother would sometimes express. Um, her name was Martha Jane, and at the age of 88, she was feeling the weight of old age and even once remarked to me around that time that she was surprised that she had lived that long. But her wistfulness in that way wouldn't typically linger because she knew that giving in too much to something like that could be a snare and a trap. So then she would snap to it, and she would say something witty, and often things similar you know, to those little quips that were typical of her when she spoke her mind, because at heart, she was actually a great encourager. She led and taught by concrete example, 
and she did it through her volunteer work. Yeah, from what you've told me, she sounds like a really great lady who had a lot of wisdom to share. And she was a great example to you growing up by showing great faith and great patience and all that she did and how she overcame situations that she was presented with. And I'd say that that's rubbed off on you very well. She had a really good way of turning it around, using the wittiness and looking on the bright side, always seeing the good and potential that could come out of a situation, seeing the positive. We don't see much of that anymore. But, you know, we each have the capacity to inspire others to do what's right, regardless of how a situation may seem to initially be presented before us. You know, when I sit and reflect on it, much of the good that was in the world has been removed. That's not to say there isn't any there at all. No, what it means is that those of us still here on Earth who are followers of Christ are expected to, to be that kind of example to others. These examples are among many of the teachings of the Apostle Paul that he wrote about and had to endure as well. Paul told us in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3-4, through 4, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier." You know, when we go on further and we look at James 1, verses 2 and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, one thing the Lord reminds me of in the Spirit every time I go through a trial, like I was talking about earlier, is that He will lead me through. Now, his promise remains true no matter what we encounter, and his word promises that in Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6, where it says, Let your conduct be without covet. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So, we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Yes, and to approach with a little humor here, my grandmother could give tough love when necessary. She could be sharp-tongued when telling the truth, but she always had reasons toward the ultimate good. If you needed a wake-up call, then that's exactly what you might get. She was especially tender, yet firm with children. She knew skillfully how to turn a situation around for the ultimate good. Once I complained to her when I was just a little kid that I had a bad stomach ache, so she whipped up a heaping tablespoon of baking soda into a, a glass of tap water, Mm, and she told me, that sounds delicious. She she told me to hold my nose and drink it down as quickly as I could. But before that, but before she did that, she said, "Well, honey, it'll either bring it up or settle it." Um, I was terrified, and I did finally gulp most of it down, wanting so much to please her. But it tasted absolutely horrible. Sounds and like I almost lost it when I gagged. Sounds like the first time I ever uh, tried to drink alka seltzer. Oh, yes. um, yeah. And so, but even after this, she she drew me close to her and and sat down with me on the couch, and I I leaned into her and I dozed off. Um, but when I woke up, she said, "Well, well, my stomach wasn't hurting anymore, and I wanted to jump up and play, but it was bedtime already." So there were rules. She told me that she was very proud of me and that I was very brave. And she sat with me until I, until I went to sleep. And, and I'll tell you that to this day, if I have an upset stomach, I'll still reach for that nasty old baking soda stirred into a glass of water, or what I'll call a glass of tough love, because I know the end game or the goal. Sometimes it takes a tough remedy to get through and to break out to the other side of where you need to be. 
when you had your tummy ache before we began recording, did you uh, do the, did you do the baking soda and the water? No, I did not. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. I had to, I had to seize on that moment to ask the question. It wasn't bad enough. <clears throat> but, but you know, that's a very good example of what being tenderhearted looks like. And we need to be careful to not allow our hearts to become hardened in the last days due to hard times upon us. We can't allow our own circumstances to lead us into the bitterness that creates a hardened heart. And, you know, with things getting the way they are, I'm, I'm sad to say, I, you know, and you've been witnessing this too. We see it all the time. We're seeing it more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 3 uh, verses 6 through 12 is our direction to not harden our hearts. And when we take a look, starting on verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as is in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Beware, brethren, this is key, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that's one thing also that's, you know, like I was talking about earlier, you know, the moment something goes wrong, there is the devil trying to poke you, you know, trying to get you to ensnare you into causing, you know, doing a sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, the term exhort means appeal to each other, to lift each other up, to encourage each other, to continue to do what's good. These are also known as works by faith. And Tom, you know that you and I have had many discussions when it comes to continuing to do what is right, regardless of what we're going through. We sure have. It doesn't mean that we don't have our down days. I mean, we're all human, but we reflect and think of ways to counter the indignation Satan is trying to burden us with. Faith by works is one of these ways, pushing forward and doing as the word commands. You know, I'm going to read uh, James 2, verses 14 through 20, and in verse 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. And you know, a lot of people say, oh, if you've got an extra coat, do this, do that. You should, but this is also offering up advice like I was talking about earlier. Now, when we go on in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You know, in the season we are finding ourselves, the devil's having a heyday, getting people to act in unsavory ways toward others. And this is a big reason I have talked about this so much and put so much emphasis on the need to do right. You know, I've written on this quite a few times now. 
or I've at least tied it in somehow or another. We have persecution over our faith, over politics, race baiting, mask baiting, vaccine baiting, you name it. I mean, when you step back, we are seeing this on every single subject you could think of, some of which I thought we'd never see. You know, I don't think anybody, you know, <laughs> even I'm amazed sometimes. It's like I see what they're planning. I see these things and I've talked about them, but even I'm still shocked at some of it. Yeah. You know, the average person doesn't sit around thinking of ways to hate or manipulate others. This is Satan's doing. He's the author of strife and lawlessness, and through this manipulation, which the media has been complacent in orchestrating. And you know, a great example of turning something to do good and works by faith, I just thought of, I would mention that I've seen recently in the news, or in the independent news, I should say, I don't watch the mainstream news, is the example of those news anchors and reporters who were coming out uh, blowing the whistle. You know, God bless those ladies from Fox 26 in Houston and CBS 62 in Detroit coming forward to expose the biased reporting and propaganda. And as you know, that began with Carrie Lake from Fox 10 in Phoenix last year. You know, these ladies are Christians and came right out and said that consciously they could not keep continuing to report lies to the people. They were chastised and persecuted, and it ultimately led to their termination, but they still stood up for what was truthful. They took that first step and put their trust in God and they put their careers on the line, but they trusted in God, and I really believe they're going to be okay. You know, all that right there is a great example of great works by faith and putting trust in God, having tenderhearted mercy to do the right thing, doing what you know is morally right, even at the expense of humiliation, humbling yourself, enduring, and maintaining. Because when you have faith, you will come out better on the other side, and the reward increases each time you're persecuted. You know, that goes hand in hand with what I was talking about earlier when I talked about suffering for doing good. And really, if we trust the Lord, how do we know we're going to suffer at all? Many people who were in professions that were anything but honest are now being blessed with roles that are more fulfilling and have purpose. So, you know, there may be a short period where we perceive a situation as harsh, but not everything always turns out the way it may seem. The Lord knows how to take care of his own. He only requires we believe, reverence, and obey him. And that obedience is not to act in such ways that are contradicting to his teachings and trying situations. You know, when I uh, came out of the workforce, the Lord knew my heart was not in my old profession anymore. And he had much better plans for me. I didn't know it at the time, but he caused it all to work out for the better once he taught me how to place my trust in him while I was in the wilderness. I can't imagine doing what I used to do because... While at one time I thought it was important personally and spiritually, I just wasn't fulfilled in it anymore. What I do now running Innocence Redeemed means so much more to me because I have faith that by doing this, I'm leading others who are looking for answers to seek Jesus and give their lives to him. So, you know, back to what I was saying, the Lord will lead those who belong to him. It is up to us to put our faith in him. And, you know, I can, I can only imagine those brave journalists who've sought the truth, being rewarded with new careers and, and literally springing out of the ashes of the fires they've had to walk through. Yeah. Amen. It's happening. You know, and one thing they've all have said, you know, I said this earlier, they, they all had one thing in common. I put my trust in God. That's right. And folks, this is key. Faith produces wonderful results better than we could, you know, better. God has better things in mind than we could ever choose for ourselves. So true. You know, Martha Jane uh, never had an easy life. 
She had been born into affluence, but marrying my grandfather as a teenager created a rift in her family. They, they just felt he wasn't good enough. And this hurt him terribly and made him ashamed of the family that he had come from. Then he went off to World War II and came back damaged psychologically and addicted to cigarettes and alcohol doing, you know, due to the terrible conditions the U.S. Army tried to mitigate through what they deemed to be small comforts. Um, he also suffered from the unforgettable things he witnessed in the German countryside as a soldier and a cook in a mobile army unit. Now it's called PTSD. Yet he had a heart of mercy where he risked severe punishment had he ever been discovered giving food to the elderly and to the women with children who were starving in the cold winter. He told me later that he could have been hung or shot for what he did. But those people were living in root cellars and damaged houses, and their fields had been firebombed by the Allied forces. They were starving. Yeah. One woman who was pregnant and starving became burned into his memory. Oh, I mean, he never would say what happened to her. Either he didn't know, or maybe wasn't willing to say. Much of what had gone on in those days was very hard to talk about for many. And a lot of the older generation is very stoic. They don't talk about a lot of things because that's how disturbing they were. Well, and and I knew there was still something there that might not ever come out because the tears would always just come into his eyes and he would glaze over and then he'd be back to himself. And I, I just knew that he witnessed things that he never articulated even when I became an adult. Um, but, you know, those people in the countryside were considered to be the enemy, yet in reality, they were innocent and they were reduced to a pitiable state that few people can look on and stomach without wanting to do something or really just anything to help them with their suffering. Um, you know, my, my grandfather late, later became the strong, steady, wise and, you know, loving presence I knew who loved to fish and build things and grow roses and make friends with strangers and play cards while sipping whiskey. And, you know, but Satan had tried to destroy him in both spirit and body. The enemy takes particular delight in annihilating, if he can, those with hearts of tender mercy. This is why the fight is worthy. And this is why we have to resist descending into bitterness, anger, resentment, and unforgiveness. You know, as time went on, a divorce later separated my grandparents, and sadly, it was encouraged by a proud and bitter family that used money to manipulate and divide, causing my grandmother to raise her youngest daughter on her own while working in office and factory jobs while she attended nursing school. Um, she was strong-willed and, and would not acquiesce to those who served to discourage her. Later, she prevailed. She graduated from nursing school at the age of 40 while all along facing huge discouragement. But she was able in her faith and in the determination it gave her to endure storms capable of sweeping anyone right out to sea. So, you know, this began for her a, a career of great mercy toward others, where she spent most of her, her career as a hospice nurse for aging patients with cancer and dementia. Uh, she spent a lot of time in nursing homes and saw dreadful things but this only strengthened her great spirit of mercy. She lived to give, and that's what nourished her heart. Later, when she officially retired, she began her volunteer work. She was able to bring to the table some formidable administrative and organizational skills, coupled with, again, 
great mercy. At first, she volunteered in nursing because that's what she knew. But then when that became too much for her later into her mid-70s, she began to volunteer with what are called mercy meals for church. Um, Those were meals prepared mainly for funeral parties. But in fact, she helped out with all kinds of occasions involving food. My grandmother... a my large gr- congregation. Yeah, my grandmother used to do things like that. She cooked for weddings a lot, too. Yeah. And, you know, my grandmother, Martha Jane, she didn't particularly like to cook, but she was an excellent cook, even so. And she found new energy then in organizing and in preparing and cleaning up and encouraging other volunteers. So she became an anchor in her local church through her acts of giving. And again, here's the big one, mercy. She continued those works many months beyond her 93rd year, all while driving and giving rides to those too frail to do what she could do. She later passed away just shy of her 94th birthday. Um, She was incredibly strong. Um, And so going back to James 2, which we touched on earlier, I'd like to mention the idea that faith without works is akin to missing the forest for the trees, as illustrated here by a brief story I'll share that happened with my church's food pantry. Two weeks ago, I was addressed by a church elder in terms of the church's pantry becoming, quote-unquote, an imposition to those who were scheduled to arrive some hours later for a meeting. It's noteworthy that those scheduled to attend that meeting were there for the purpose of healing. This was actually a community uh, AA or an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting where the group was approved by the church to use one of the church's fellowship rooms. And as it happened, the same room where the food pantry storage closets are and where once a month we distribute food to those in need on Saturday mornings. So, you know, going back to the outrage you felt with your brother and and having to take a breath, you know, my my first reaction in spirit was one of outrage, as in, I I mean, I was beside myself. I In my mind, I thought, How could the quiet and careful work being done in preparation for the pantry's operation possibly be an imposition to anyone? If anything, seeing evidence of community outreach could lead a hurting person in recovery to becoming a volunteer and truly shining in that role. They most certainly could. Talk about rising from the ashes, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, hence, you know, taking the focus off oneself and literally lavishing it on others in acts of mercy. And here's this mercy thing coming up again and again, you know, and I kept hearing in my spirit a very quiet but steady voice. I knew it was not the enemy. Um, A quiet and steady voice that said, this is a test. Do not take the bait. Do not react to words of offense. That's kind of like I was going through with my brother, but I I was explaining earlier. Bingo. There you go. You know, I resisted, and, and, and I'm glad I did. You know, I merely just went on then to respond in such a way as to assure all present that the food was being packed hours in advance and being placed in another room for retrieval later on. That then went on to remind me in spirit of stories that my grandmother had told me about how, in the heat of their losing battles with cancer and dementia, some of her, her beloved patients would lash out at her in their pain and in their confusion. Yet, rather than letting those lashings break her heart, you know, words can break our hearts, right? I mean, 
she was inspired all the more to ease their suffering and do what she could do to help them in their transition from this life to the next. You know, she was not afraid of an unkind or an awkward or an unclean moment. She had learned through long practice how to walk forward in what might seem like chaos. So needless to say, this challenging but noteworthy episode of Late with the Food Pantry, it blew over. You know, a wicked spirit of strife and offense was not fed or encouraged. It was, in essence, starved right off the vine. Yet in my position of leadership, had I run with a spirit of strife and offense, and thus given the breath of life to an evil seed, I would likely have fostered a time-consuming distraction in the form of you know, superfluous dialogue about nothing that would only have served to work against mercy and undeniable good works. And just a warning to the listeners, that spirit of strife, if you, know, if you haven't experienced oh, it, it it's is terrible. Oh, it's on the prowl lately. It really is. It's terrible. It'll, it'll burn you. And you know, this is precisely how Satan steals, kills, and destroys. This is how cancers hijack, infiltrate, colonize, feed, and go on to wreak havoc, and then eventually kill. So this is how the enemy leads men, all, all women and men, into blindness, for example, under the guise of being merciful in hosting a healing meeting, only then to be led against the very essence of mercy and love that comes with leading those out of addiction and despair and actually feeding them with real spiritual and physical food when they're hungry. Yeah. And brother, just like we were talking about um, earlier concerning the indignation and, you know, what you were just mentioning there with strife, you felt that too, even as you were trying to remain faithful to your works in the pantry. I sure did. The good deeds performed by us show those who are not living for Christ what they need to be or should be doing. And, you know, the good works we carry by our faith put to shame those who are trying to instill the opposite. We just have to keep pushing forward and doing what's right regardless. For example, you were helping the needy by serving them in the food pantry. You still are. And that is crucial now more than ever, as there are more people, more and more, in need. Not only is that a form of mercy, but giving is a form of doing what is pleasing to God. You know, in First Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12, Paul spoke about living a brotherly and orderly life. Verse 9 starts, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Verse 10, And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Keep doing good. Keep doing more. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Now, note at the end of verse 10, where it says, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Like I was just saying, this means to keep doing these works. Be a shining example to others through these works by faith. And you know, brother, the example of doing the food pantry is a further testimony of what we read in verse 11, where it says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and work with your own hands. In other words, free from strife and continuing to help others. 
And you do that in your own personal time with your gardening. Yeah, that's that's my big escape right there. And, yeah. You, I mean, you don't go looking for trouble. You stay to yourself and strive for peace, which is exactly what we're commanded to do. That's why right. we don't. And, you know, that's, I, you know, it occurred to me, you know, that's exactly why we don't like when others try to cause trouble or draw us into their antics. You know, we don't do well with those who are unequally yoked. When it comes to understanding, which we often seek, they really can't coexist because they're opposites. I mean, you read this in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 15, where the word says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? If I'm saying that right. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? That's why I use the New Living Translation a lot because I have trouble pronouncing a lot of the <laughs> words in the King James and so the New King James. So you see, that is why we lead by example. We keep on that proper attire. We run the race and endure many trials because we are children of God. And those who are not walking in His ways or those who don't belong to Him can't understand that. They are only knowing the ways of the world because it's they've been conditioned to accept that over the years even if and that's part of being backslidden too is you know when you're away for a long time you tend to fall into that category without even realizing it's happening and you know in that same notion that's why they don't understand why we won't get riled up over trivialities or take part in what they may perceive to be right but isn't and you know it goes back to first peter three as i read earlier about suffering for doing good and leading by examples, for then it puts to shame those who are not. And further, we're told in the word to do these works as if we're serving the Lord, because we are. Um, you know, a good example, Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord, rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. Yeah, you know, Ray, it was my, my grandmother who counseled me about volunteering at my church. Actually, it was about two years before I joined my church that she had advised me to become a volunteer. And she didn't say what I should do. Specifically, she just said, put yourself out there, make a difference. And this was way back in 2004. You know, I can remember sitting next to a duck pond in a lawn chair in the summertime and talking with her for two hours on my cell phone. I was in a dark place of discouragement at the time and hurting and crying out and utterly disillusioned. And aside from my job, I wasn't feeling particularly useful or valued. But a seed had been planted. And when I later joined the church, I was immediately drawn to assisting with, of all things, coffee hour. You know, I saw the community value and how it brought folks together and made a real difference. And, and that quickly grew into a weekly commitment. And then that led to organizing fellowship events centering around provision of food for church picnics and luncheons and dinners and, and the like. And, and then even participation in fundraising auctions for our ongoing African outreach mission in Rwanda. And then in early 2011, um, our local food pantry was established after our pastor had a dream and then had met with a woman and her daughter. And this is... What a spark of encouragement and a little bit of investment of time in someone can do for their spirit. Well, not I mean, just my grandmother did that for me. You know, not just that. It goes back to what I was saying that you never know how things are going to end up. You might think that it's this way or that way, but the Lord has a bigger plan. 
Right. And and so this in turn is something that I try to do for our volunteers and anyone who approaches with a heart of wanting to help in some way with the food pantry. So, for example, we have an 80-some-year-old gentleman. I mean, my dad's 85. I think this man is probably closer to 90, actually, who can he can no longer pack boxes and move carts due to problems with his knees. Um, but, you know, by golly, if he wants it, I've got a sit-down job for him as a greeter and a keeper of the books at the front table. And, you know, I have a mind to give him a call because I don't think he's going to get away that easily from me. So just saying, you know, he, he needs a spark of encouragement and he needs to know that he's welcome and that he is still, he's still useful. He's still welcome. So that's, that's something that I try to cultivate. Amen. And you know, Tom, in these last days, we need to not only live by example for others to inspire them to hold true to their faith and all these various trials and tribulations we see playing out, but also we need to try and see the good that comes out of these actions. Daniel 12, 1 verse 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Wow, you know, that passage really, it, it assails me. It sort of chases me in my spirit, and it convicts me more than ever. And, oh. you know, as the years pass, that just resonates with me more strongly than ever. Yeah, well, that's the hope that we're supposed to have. You know, um, by yeah. doing by doing those works, it's going to help people out. And I believe we're going to see many turning their lives over to the Lord and coming to repentance. And when they can see the good works, and when we talk about these examples to demonstrate what we need to be doing when we are running the race of endurance, it will encourage others to keep doing the same. We need to do our best to continue holding each other up as Jesus told us to walk in the light. In other words, not just hearing, but being doers of the faith. I briefly had wrote on this in uh, Keeping the foundation Strong in the Season We're In. As we are doers of the faith, walking in the light and teaching by example, do, uh, you know, showing others what's good. We will continue to have not only proper discernment, but direction, as we are not allowing the darkness to overtake us. We can then rest in our faith, knowing where we are going. Absolutely. You know, in John 12, verse 35, when Jesus was speaking to the crowd, he said, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And, you know, then further, looking at Luke uh, 15, verse 16, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. Well, and, you know, one exception might be with my then, at the time, four-year-old son who insisted that I not only leave his nightlight on, but a bright front flashlight under his bed so that the bear that he was sure was going to bite his arm off in the middle of the night would be scared away. <laughs> and, you know, this is a childish notion for sure until we remember how a deep and visceral fear can lead to unreason and how we can find ways to approach others with compassion and thus meet them where they are. You know, another thing we have to pray for then is patience. God's nature is one of great patience and long-suffering, and he desires to show us his ways. Amen, exactly. And what the Lord means by this is that 
as doers of the faith, we are a shining light in that darkness for all to see. An example of what's righteous. Maintaining endurance to keep doing the Lord's will in that we are remaining faithful to him. Well, yes, and this can be in something as seemingly simple as having extra patience with people in need, who can be extremely offensive. My my now 21-year-old son, who has been working with me in the food pantry since he was 11 years old, still bristles at some of the attitudes and the colorful sights, sounds, and scents that come through that door. You know, some people are rude and abrasive and demanding and selfish, and some come through the door smelling strongly of alcohol or B.O. or, or both. I mean, and it can be quite distracting, as you can imagine. But one technique is to turn to a particularly demanding person and say, while pulling up a chair for them, hey, I have an idea. Sit down and give me a wish list. We need to update your needs list anyway. Here's a pen and paper. Can I get you a bottle of water? And, and you know, they'll, they'll look up at me like, what? Is this a joke? And I'll say, well... We missed the mark this time, so tell me what you'd like to see in your box next time, and we'll see what we can do about it. If you don't say anything to me, then nothing's going to change, I can guarantee you that. And by the way, we're not serving a champagne brunch this morning, but how about a bottle of water? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's a real icebreaker, you know? You always got to kill them with kindness. You know, you that's yeah. my dad taught me that growing up, kill them with kindness. I used to think, well, it's a, nope, don't stoop to their level. Come up with a better yeah. so come up with a better response. Be above reproach. Yeah, I mean, there's a psychological term for it, and I, I think it's disarming. You know, um, yeah, I mean, it's great to see a scowl get wiped out by a chuckle. That's for sure. And you know, it just lightens the whole atmosphere. It just dispels the evil and the darkness. And you know, you'd think that a person would come up with a list a mile long, you know, to include Sunday buffet brunch at the Ritz Carlton, but. But no, not not so much. What I found is that hurting people are very humble people. They often come to the conclusion that nobody cares about or loves them. I can testify to that. How sad is that? I mean, they, but it, they've but become it's, but it's true. Yeah, they they've become bitter and hardened and lacking in trust because they've been hurt so badly and they've been knocked down so hard in the storms of their lives. Yep. You know. So, for example, one lady loves a particular kind of crackers, and, and could she have extra? Um, another man is happy when we remember to pick up black olives for him. Another loves mandarin oranges, and another has shown extreme gratitude because we provide her with cat food and cat litter because her cats are her joy, where her life otherwise is pretty dismal. Yeah, and you know? those little things like that, when someone's yeah. living in a despairing situation, that can make their mm. day. That can really yeah. that can really encourage someone and brighten their day. Well, it may it may not it may not seem like much, but it's 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 something it's it's the small things. Right. Um, we call these the small dignities or the little things that are private between us and a particular individual who just wants to be acknowledged. And in this way, we've been able to open doors to prayer requests. You know, one request actually mushroomed into the the congregation purchasing a beautiful old used car for one patron who three years later still drives it everywhere with, with safety and dignity. Yeah. I remember, and, you t I remember you telling me about that. Oh, I mean, her faith has, has, has mushroomed and, and now she's willing to secure day old bread from a local bakery for us to put in the pantry's freezer. And she brings empty boxes to us for packing and she has attended church. 
Amen. And, you know, it's like I was saying earlier about the small things. You got to be able to see the beauty in the small things. Yes. And, and we've been blessed to know more about the real struggles our visitors are going through. I mean, sure, it's, you know, it's a gala occasion when the church erects a new bell tower, but it's the myriad so-called tiny things going on all the time that really rock the kingdom of heaven. And the smallest of acts is where the, the treasure trove can be found. Similar to planting that small mustard seed. By these works right. and planting the seed, it grows. Whether it makes someone, whether it makes someone's day or inspires them, we know it works together to accomplish God's purpose. It inspires faith for those who need hope. You got it. You know, that's like what I was just saying. And you know, Romans fifteen, um, uh, verses two through six. We should help others to do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives us this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, when you mention those small things, you know, the the olives or, you know, just making someone's day, that's all connected to that. And as we Yeah. Just just little tiny things from somebody's grocery list can make a difference, really? Yeah. Well can. yeah. They can. They really absolutely they can in spirit they helped to create a shift in the right direction. And as we do these good works, we're teaching others to do the same. This is part of the mercy, and it demonstrates not allowing a hardening of the heart, like I was mentioning earlier, shortly after I described the example of what I experienced with my brother. That's right. I have to overcome that fear of what he may or may not think of me to tell him what is right and what he needs to hear, not what he wants to hear. Mm. That's the love, and all of us should do our part where it counts. You know, to give another example of this, it is telling the truth as it applies to the times, not just going along with whatever to tickle people's ears, because, you know, if you don't take a stand for what is good, if you don't take a stand in the truth, it could come back to bite you. So there is that to consider as well. You may not be able to force someone to do what is right, but you at least tried with well-meaning intentions. What they choose to do is up to them. You know, more than we realize it, which, by the way, we don't realize it because if we are doing what the Holy Spirit commands, it comes natural to us. We speak from the heart because some of us have gone through a similar and sometimes an exact situation that someone may be experiencing, whether we are an acquaintance or they are family, a family member or a friend. Absolutely. We instruct them patiently because that is caring for others. That is loving them. And if you take a look at the New Living Translation of Romans 12, 9, it says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And now when you look at the King James Translation of uh, Romans 12, 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. And now I compare these two translations of this verse to show you the difference in wording. The only difference is the New Living Translation uses a more uh, simple way of explaining, which is easier for new believers. The King James Version uses the term dissimulation. And so to compare, if you look at the definition of dissimulation, that word means the practice of misleading others through lies or trickery. Essentially, how it's meant in Romans 12.9 for both translations is your love for others should be genuine, 
not just throwing your hands up and walking the other way and telling people what they want to hear. It's right. Sometimes you have to tell them what they don't want to hear, or you have to say it in a way that makes them perk up and listen. That's that tough and love again, you like want. you were mentioning with the baking soda and water. Yeah. Or if you don't tell me what you want, you're going to get the same old thing next time. And I'm sorry, I can't help you if you don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. And it's because you, you just have to be direct. Yeah. And it's because you love them and because you care about them. Right. You lead by example. And you want a better result. Uh-huh. And you let it be from the heart because you truly care for them. And that's what it's meant in the New Living Translation when it says, don't just pretend to love others. And in that love, that is why you abhor evil and hold tightly to what is good. And that can be through giving good advice or warning others. You know, I'll give you another example. Yesterday morning, I went to the store. And as I was checking out, the subject of the vaccine and the Delta variant came up. I think it was because I heard an announcement over the loudspeaker. It's like, say six feet away, get your vaccine. And... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous propaganda. I told her, I told the lady at the checkout, there's too many, because she asked me if I got if I got it. And I said, no, I told her there's too many unanswered questions about that vaccine. I asked, you know, I, I just said to her, as a matter of factly, if international flights are shut down, how is this new variant getting into countries like the UK and Australia? Well, I mean, the UK has a tunnel connecting it to France. And the United States has land borders, and we know how that's probably getting in. But you know what I mean. How's it getting to places like New Zealand, Australia, and island nations? It doesn't make any sense if international flights are shut down. So, you know, that's just one question I presented. And then I further went on to say, why are they censoring and trying to keep people from talking about it or talking about therapeutics? And she mentioned, oh, you know, Trump was trying to uh, come up with the therapeutics. I said, yes, he was. And what happened? He got shot down. So what do they have to hide? Why are magnets sticking to people? Why are they selling the notion of passports being needed? I'll tell you why. Because it's training for the mark of the beast. Revelation 13. Then further hyping it with more and more variants. I told her, these are the questions folks need to rationally think about and be asking themselves. You know, I presented the question to her. Do you think that they are truly ever letting us go back to normal? And she just stared at me and I said, no, they're not. Because they have too good of a thing going and have in invested everything into this pitch. Everything into this to pitch the idea for the Great Reset. It's all connected. And I told her, this is all about control. This clamoring for normal via the avenue of fear induced propaganda. It's anything but normal. It's not healthy. I refuse to live like that. What kind of quality of life is that? It's not. And, you know, her eyes just got really big. And that's normal because most can't begin to comprehend this stuff, even though it's been publicly available now, at least for a few years, if not longer. And I had to step back and realize I just did a huge data dump on her early in the morning, but I believe I was making the wheels turn. So it's my hope that I planted a seed and that when she goes home, she'll take a look at those things. You know, I don't know this woman short of small talk with her before here and there, but because she is a nice lady, and I really do not want to see common people like that suffer and what's coming. I mentioned it because I felt it was appropriate at the time. You know, I'm not saying everyone has to do what I did in this very example. Each person's going to do what they feel led to do. You know, just like you know, when you brought up the food pantry, getting those small things for your patrons that come in that you know make their day. Yeah. But it shows we're empowered to do much if we believe something is the right thing to do. It's another example of works by faith. It's a further example of each part of the body of Christ having a purpose. 
we we all may do something different, but in the end, all of it matters as we are all part of the same body. And well, brother, as as we've tried to illustrate, it's about shining light into the darkness. And and yes, we're all called to do various things as one body in Christ, but we are individuals with various gifts. It all counts, and it's all worthwhile. You know, Satan is the author of despair, defeat, and death, but God is the creator of life. There's a 180 between Satan and the Lord. That's true. And, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For as the body is one, has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. That's the, you know, that's the foundation as Christ is the cornerstone and our road on the foundations and holding true to them in the last days. That's love. That's mercy. That's abhorring what's evil, continuing to do good. And it's just one example among many, you know, it goes along also in treating others as you would want to be treated, but doing so in a mature and rational manner. This podcast in itself has been an example of works by faith because I believe it's going to be effective in teaching people what is right to do teaching others what is good and teaching them to hold tightly to those honest values as they are the teachings of Jesus doing the will of God. And that dovetails right along with Romans 15 to five that I just read. That's what our faith is based on that when we are obedient and do the Lord's will, all of his promises belong to us and we can hold strong in our belief in the faith that because we belong to the Lord and in him, we can do all things. And Philippians 4.13 is our promise. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thus, we teach others about doing what is good because we are filled with that goodness by our faith as we read further in Romans 15.14. I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are all full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach others all about them. And that's why all of us, or even unbelievers, are a threat to Satan and his agenda is because we are made in the image of God and we do have good in us and we do have potential and we can be redeemed, but he and his followers cannot. Which is exactly why we were fought so hard to get this podcast produced and recorded because he didn't want this. He doesn't want this message getting out. He wants people to be in conflict because he he knows his time is short. You know, I mentioned the light earlier as Jesus was teaching us this parable in John 12, 35 and Luke 15, 16. This parable of the lamp and the light is also tied to the salt, which you read about in Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? If it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You know, this parable... Yeah, I'm sorry. That, that just, sorry, Ray, but that just goes back to the idea that of, you know, and, and this is in scripture that we referenced earlier, you know, Invite someone to the church and then and then bless them, but right. ignore the fact that they're starving. How do you expect them to take your blessing or even listen to you when they're out of their mind with starvation? Yeah, it, it, it's it's hypocrisy. And right, and, and if you do that, then there is no flavor in you. You have you are no longer the salt. You're you, no longer effective. You you're no longer an agent for for change. And if you believe the word, and you believe. What, the, what God's word says, you're not just believing it. You are living it. That's right. That's keeping ourselves seasoned with salt, being filled with light to shine for others as an example. When we don't consume the word, or when we consume it but don't put our faith into actions, the salt loses its flavor. And, you know, that's when we risk drifting away or falling away. 
There is instruction and wisdom in Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Hmm. And there's truth to that. Because as you believe the word, you live it. And therefore, you are you have a light to guide you through to do what's right. You know, recall back to what I said earlier about uh, bait and questions. You know, I recently had someone ask me how many people will perish before God intervenes. Now, I don't know what the intentions were behind this question, but I can say there's no possible way anyone could give any possible answer anyone could give on that. Nobody, not myself, you know, not Glenda of JPH or any other ministry doing these works have the answers to these types of questions. You know, it's almost as if they are designed to weigh how true someone is and what they know. In the word, the prophets continually said, oh, Lord, only you know. You know, it's true. Only God knows the timing. So these types of questions are counterproductive, and they're irrelevant in the Lord's instructions to us as his believers. We are to be working while it's still light, doing his will. You know, we don't sit around waiting for the judgments and asking, oh, you know, when's it going to happen? And then, you know... Being like, well, you don't know, so therefore you're, you know, you're not real. No, that is not, that is not Christ-like. That is not Christian-like. And we need to remember, and that, you know, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about the Pharisees. And we need to remember that nobody knows the day or the hour. The word says in Matthew 24, 36 through 39, after Jesus provided the parable of the fig tree. And And those were the meaning of the signs of the things to be looking for. So, you know, considering what time it is when we see the signs already starting to happen, verse 36, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And he did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, further Jesus went on to warn about falling asleep. You can liken that to becoming lazy or losing the salt because your light went out. Verse 45, you know, in Matthew 24. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants, you know, a.k.a. not doing good, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And that's, you know, what we were talking about earlier, you know, being doers of the faith, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, brothers and sisters, focus there on verse 45, where it says, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Some of you may recall, I wrote on the bread and foundations recently, and I've mentioned this now a few times, you know, in this podcast, and that was in one of my blog entries. And folks, we want to do our best to shine and maintain our foundation in the Lord. We don't want to fall into that category as it pertains to verses 48 through 51 where that I just read from Matthew 24. We don't want to tire of doing the Lord's will. And yes, we do become fatigued because there is wearing down of the saints occurring. But in this is the strength of those walking close to Jesus, working to maintain that foundation. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, 
he left instructions with his disciples to feed his sheep, to teach them, to lead by example. Love others as you would love yourself. Those are his instructions. And as a Christian, and as Christians, that is what we are to do. Remember, everyone, you know, Jesus loves you. The world does not love you. That's one thing I have discovered big time. And we only need to be obedient to Jesus. Remember in Jesus, all things are possible. And we want to do these works while there is still light in the world, despite the powers that be trying to put out that light. That is remaining true and being a faithful and wise servant. Tom, did you have any uh, anything else you wanted to add in closing? Well, only that no matter how intense the fatigue and the discouragement can get, never forget who you work for. Amen. It all belongs to him, meaning the Lord Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Anyway, we're just stewards of the tools and the blessings that he gives us to do his work and to bring glory back to him. That's ultimately all that matters in the work we might do. Amen to that, brother. And Rhea, I would like to close us out in prayer. Dear Lord God, there are so many injustices in this world we are burdened by and which we must place before you. Increasingly, governments make decisions contrary to the instruction of your word. People make choices in direct opposition to what is good and right and true. Extremists persecute our brothers and sisters in many parts of the world. Wolves in sheep's clothing parade as your servants when, in fact, they are not representing you. You are the Holy One, righteous and just. You have the power to save and you have the right to judge. My Lord God, I ask that you may show the listeners what you require of us. I pray that the words you have given us to share today have been effective in leading the listeners to continue to do what is good in your holy name. Lord, your word says in Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Lord, I invite you to work within us, guiding all of us by your Holy Spirit to do works that are good, to be your trustworthy and willing servants, to accomplish your will in our lives and in this world. Lord, help us to make a difference and to be steadfast and strong for you to the end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Tom. And brothers and sisters, it is my hope and prayer that Brother Tom and I have laid out these examples here before you so that you may keep on those running shoes of endurance and continue to do what is right and fight the good fight in faith. Keep on the running shoes and keep on running that race because that is what the Lord is desiring we all do as his followers. If you have a moment when you feel overwhelmed by a situation, take a step back and call on the name of the Lord. He will always show you a better way especially when you're dealing with a situation that might present, you know, indignation, like I had mentioned earlier. And sometimes all it requires is being still. Like when I went to the park, you know, I didn't call Tom right away. I sat there for a moment reflecting on what I needed to do and what a righteous approach would be. And in closing, I just want to say, may our Lord Jesus bless you. I thank everyone for listening. Make it a great week.